continuing in The Fear of God, or A Treatise of the Fear of God, by John Bunyan, Part 10. Eleventh, wouldst thou grow in this grace of fear? Then remember what a world of privileges do belong to them that fear the Lord, as also I have hinted, namely, that such shall not be hurt, shall want no good thing, shall be guarded by angels, and have a special license, though in never so dreadful a plight, to trust in the name of the Lord, and stay upon their God. Twelfth, wouldst thou grow in this grace of fear, then be much in prayer to God for abundance of the increase thereof. To fear God is that which is according to his will, and if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Pray, therefore, that God will unite thy heart to fear his name. This is the way to grow in the grace of fear. Lastly, wouldst thou grow in this grace of fear? Then devote thyself to it. Psalm 119, verse 38. Devote myself to it, you will say. How is that? I answer, why, give thyself to it. Addict thyself to it. Solace thyself in the contemplation of God and of a reverence of his name and word and worship. Then wilt thou fear and grow in this grace of fear. What things they are that have a tendency in them to hinder the growth of the fear of God in our hearts. And that I may yet be helpful to thee, reader, I shall now give thee caution of those things that will, if way be given to them, hinder thy growth in the sphere of God, the which, because they are very hurtful to the people of God, I would have thee be warned by them, and they are these which follow. First, if thou wouldest grow in this grace of fear, take heed of a hard heart, for that will hinder thy growth in this grace. Why hast thou hardened our heart from thy fear, was a bitter complaint of the church heretofore. For it is not only the judgment that in itself is dreadful and sore to God's people, but that which greatly hindereth the growth of this grace in the soul. Isaiah 63, verse 17. A hard heart is but barren ground for any grace to grow in, especially for the grace of fear. There is but little of this fear where the heart is indeed hard. Neither will there ever be much therein. Now, if thou wouldest be kept from a hard heart, number one, take heed of the beginnings of sin. Take heed, I say, of that, though it should be never so small. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. There is more in a little sin to harden than in a great deal of grace to soften. David's look upon Bathsheba was, one would think, but a small matter. Yet that beginning of sin contracted such hardness of heart in him that it carried him almost beyond all fear of God. It did carry him to commit lewdness with her, murder upon the body of Uriah, and to abundance of wicked dissimulation. Which are things, I say, that have direct tendency to quench and destroy all fear of God in the soul. Number two, if thou hast sinned, lie not down without repentance. 
For the want of repentance, after one has sinned, makes the heart yet harder and harder. Indeed, a hard heart is impenitent, and impenitence also makes the heart harder and harder. So if that impenitence be added to hardness of heart, or to the beginning of sin which makes it so, it will quickly be with that soul, as it is said of the house of Israel. It will have a whore's forehead. It will hardly be brought to shame. Jeremiah 3, verse 3. Number 3. If thou would be rid of a hard heart, that great enemy to the growth of grace of fear, be much with Christ upon the cross in thy meditations. For that is an excellent remedy against hardness of heart. A right side of him, as he hung there for your sins, will dissolve your heart into tears and make it soft and tender. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced and mourn. Zechariah 12, verse 10. Now a soft, tender, and a broken heart is a fit place for the grace of fear to thrive in. But, second, if thou wouldest have the grace of fear to grow in thy soul, take heed also of a prayerless heart. For that is not a place for this grace of fear to grow in. Hence, he that restraineth prayer is said to cast off fear. Thou castest off fear, said one of the friends, or said one of his friends to Job. But how must he do that? Why, the next words show. Thou restrainest prayer before God, Job 15, verse 4. Seest thou a professor that prayeth not? That man trusteth the fear, or that man thrusteth the fear of God away from him. Seest thou a man that prays but little? That man feareth God but little. For it is the praying soul, the man that is mighty in praying, that has a heart for the fear of God to grow in. Take heed, therefore, of a prayerless heart, if you would grow in this grace of the fear of God. Prayer is as the pitcher that fetcheth water from the brook, therewith to water the herbs. Break the pitcher, and it will fetch no water, and for want of water the garden withers. Third, wouldst thou grow in this grace of fear? Then take heed of a light and wanton heart. For neither is such a heart good ground for the fear of God to grow in. Wherefore it is said of Israel, She feared not, but went and played the harlot also. She was given to wantonness, and to be light and vain. And so her fear of God decayed. Jeremiah 3 verse 8. Had Joseph been as wanton as his mistress, he had been as void of the fear of God as she. But he was of a sober, tender, godly, considerate spirit. Therefore he grew in the fear of God. Fourth, wouldst thou grow in this grace of fear? Then take heed of a covetous heart. For neither is that which is such and one good ground for this grace of fear to grow in. Therefore this covetousness and the fear of God are his enemies. Set the one in opposition to the other. One that feareth God and hateth covetousness. Exodus 18 verse 21. And the reason why covetousness is such an obstruction to the growth of this grace of fear is because covetousness casteth those things out of the heart which alone can nourish this fear. It casteth out the word and love of God, 
without which no grace can grow in the soul. How then should the fear of God grow in a covetous heart? Ezekiel 33 verses 30 through 32, 1 John 2 verse 15. Fifth, wouldest thou grow in this grace of fear? Then take heed of an unbelieving heart. For an unbelieving heart is not good ground for this grace of fear to grow in. An unbelieving heart is called an evil heart, because from it flows all the wickedness that is committed in the world. Hebrews 3 verse 12. Now it is faith, or a believing heart, that nourisheth this fear of God, and not the other. And the reason is, for that faith brings God, heaven, and hell to the soul, and maketh it duly consider of them all. Hebrews 11 verse 7. This is therefore the means of fear, and that which will make it grow in the soul. But unbelief is a bane thereto. Sixth, wouldest thou grow in this grace of fear? Then take heed of a forgetful heart. Such a heart is not a heart where the grace of fear will flourish. When I remember, I am afraid, etc. Therefore take heed of forgetfulness. Do not forget, but remember God and his kindness, patience, and mercy to those that yet neither have grace nor special favor from him. And that will beget and nourish his fear in thy heart. But forgetfulness of this, or of any other of his judgments, is a great wound and weakening to this fear. Job 21 verse 6. When a man well remembers that God's judgments are so great a deep and mystery, as indeed they are, that remembrance puts a, a, a man upon such considerations of God and of his judgments as to make him fear. Therefore, said Job, I am afraid of him. See the place, Job 23, verse 15. Therefore am I troubled at his presence. When I consider, I am afraid of him. When I remember and consider of the wonderful depths of his judgments towards man. Seventh. Wouldst thou grow in this grace of fear? Then take heed of a murmuring and repining heart. For that is not a heart for this grace of fear to grow in. As for instance, when men murmur and repine at God's hand, at his dispensations, and at the judgments that overtake them, in their persons, estates, families, or relations, that their murmuring tendeth to destroy fear, for a murmuring spirit is such an one as seems to correct God and to find fault with his dispensations. And where there is that, the heart is far from fear. A murmuring spirit either comes from that wisdom that pretends to understand that there is a failure in the nature and execution of things, or from an envy and spite at the execution of them. Now, if murmurings arise from this pretended wisdom of the flesh, then instead of fearing God, his actions are judged to be either rigid or ridiculous, which yet are done in judgment, truth, and righteousness. So that a murmuring heart cannot be a good one for the fear of God to grow, uh, the fear of God to grow in. Alas, the heart where that grows must be a soft one as you have it in Job 23, verses 15 and 16, and a heart that will stoop and be silent at the most obtruse of all his judgments. I was dumb because thou didst it. The heart in which the Spirit of God doth flourish is such 
that it bows or bows and is mute. But if it can but espy the hand, wisdom, justice, or holiness of God in this or the other of his dispensations, and so stirs up the soul to fear before him. But if this murmuring ariseth from envy and spite, that looketh so like to the spirit of the devil, that nothing need be said to give conviction of the horrible wickedness of it. Eighth, wouldest thou grow in this grace of fear? Then take heed of a high and capacious spirit. Capricious spirit. For that is not good ground for the fear of God to grow in. A meek and quiet spirit is the best, and therefore the fear of God will flourish most. Therefore Peter puts meekness and fear together as being most suited in their nature and natural tendency one to another. 1 Peter 3 verse 15. Meekness of spirit is like that heart that hath depth of earth in it, in which things may take root and grow. But a high and capacious spirit, captious spirit, is like to the stony ground, where there is not depth of earth, and consequently, where this grace of fear cannot grow. Therefore, take heed of this kind of spirit, if thou wouldest in the fear of God, or that the fear of God should grow in thy soul. Ninth, wouldest thou grow in this grace of fear? Then take heed of an envious heart, for that is not a good heart for the fear of God to grow in. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Proverbs 23, verse 17. To envy any is a sign of a bad spirit, and that man takes upon him, as I have already hinted, to be a controller and a judge, yea, and a malicious executioner too. And that of that fury that ariseth from his own lusts and revengeful spirit, upon, perhaps, the man that is more righteous than himself. But suppose he is a sinner that is object of thine envy, or that is the object of thine envy. Why, the text sets that envy in direct opposition to the fear of God. Envy not sinners, but be thou in the fear of God. These two, therefore, to wit, envy to sinners and fearing of God, are opposites. Thou canst not fear God and envy sinners too. And the reason is, because he that envieth a sinner hath forgotten himself, that he is as bad, and how can he then fear God? He that envies sinners rejects his duty of blessing of them that curse, and praying for them that despitefully use us. And how can he that hath rejected this fear God? He that envieth sinners, therefore, cannot be of a good spirit, nor can the fear of God grow in his heart. 10. Lastly, wouldst thou grow in this grace of fear? Then take heed of hardening thy heart at any time against convictions to particular duties, as to prayer, alms, self-denial, or the like. Take heed also of hardening thy heart when thou art under any judgment of God as sickness, losses, crosses, or the like. I bid you before, too, beware of a hard heart. But now I bid you beware of hardening your soft ones. For to harden the heart is to make it worse than it is. Harder, 
more desperate and bold against God than at the present it is. Now I say, if thou wouldest grow in this grace of fear, take heed of hardening thy heart, and especially of hardening of it against convictions to good. For those convictions are sent of God, like seasonable showers of rain, to keep the tillage of thy heart in good order, that the grace of fear may grow therein. But this stifling of convictions makes the heart as hard as a piece of the nether millstone. Therefore happy is he that receiveth conviction, for so he doth keep in the fear of God, and that fear thereby nourished in his soul. But cursed is he that doeth otherwise. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Proverbs 28, verse 14. Use third of encouragement. Use third. I come now to a use of encouragement to those that are blessed with this grace of fear. The last text that was mentioned saith, Happy is the man that feareth always, and so doth many more. Happy already, because blessed with this grace, and happy for time to come. Because this grace shall abide, and continue till the soul that hath it is brought into the mansion house of glory. I will put my fear in their hearts, that they shall not depart from me. Therefore, as here it saith, Happy is he, so it saith also, it shall go well with him, that is, in time to come. It shall be well with them that fear God. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 12. First, had God given thee all the world, yet cursed hadst thou been, if he had not given thee the fear of the Lord. For the fashion of this world is a fading thing, but he that feareth the Lord shall abide forever and ever. This, therefore, is the first thing that I would propound for your encouragement, you man that fears the Lord. This grace will dwell in your heart, for it is a new covenant grace, and will abide with you forever. It is sent to you from God, not only to join your heart unto him, but to keep you from final apostasy. I will put my fear in their hearts, that they shall not depart from me. Jeremiah 32, verse 40. That you may never forsake God is his design, and therefore to keep you from that wicked thing, he has put his fear in your heart. Many are the temptations, difficulties, snares, traps, trials, and troubles that the people of God pass through in the world. But how shall they be kept? How shall they be delivered and escape? Why, the answer is, the fear of God will keep them. He that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Is it not therefore a wonderful mercy to be blessed with this grace of fear? that thou by it mayest be kept from final, which is damnable apostasy. Bless God, therefore, you blessed man that has this grace of fear in your soul. There are five things in this grace of fear that have a direct tendency in them to keep you from final apostasy. Number one, it is seated in the heart, and the heart is, as I may call it, the main fort in the mystical world, man. It is not placed in the head, as knowledge is, nor in the mouth, as utterance is, but in the heart, the seat of all. I will put my fear in their hearts. If a king will keep a town secure to himself, let him be sure to man sufficiently the main fort thereof. 
if he have 20,000 men well armed. Yet if they lie scattered here and there, the town may be taken for all that. But if the main fort be well manned, then the town is more secure. What if a man had all the parts, yea, all the arts of men and angels, that will not keep the heart to God? But when the heart, this principal fort, is possessed with the fear of God, then he is safe, but not else. Number two, the heart, or as the heart in general, so the will in special. That chief and great faculty of the soul is the principle that is acted by this fear. The will, which way that goes, all goes, if it be to heaven or hell. Now the will, I say, is that main faculty that is governed by this fear that doth possess the soul. Therefore, all is like to go well with it. This Samuel insinuates where he says, if you will fear the Lord. Fearing of God is a voluntary act of the will, and that being so, the soul is kept from rebellion against the commandment, because by the will, where this fear of God is placed, and which it governs, is led all the rest of the powers of the soul. 1 Samuel 12, verse 14. In this will, then, is the fear of God placed, that this grace may be the better be able to govern the soul, and so by consequence the whole man. For as I said before, look what way the will goes, look what the will does, thither goes, and that does the whole man. Psalm 110, verse 3. Man, when his will is alienated from God, is reckoned rebellious throughout, and that not without ground, for the will is the principal faculty of the soul as to obedience, and therefore things done without the will are as if they were not done at all. The spirit is willing, if you be willing. She hath done what she could, and the like. By these and such like sayings, the goodness of the heart and action is judged, as to the subjective part thereof. Now this fear that we have been speaking of is placed in the soul, and so consequently in the will that the man may thereby the better be kept from final and damnable apostasy. Number three. This fear, as I may say, even above every other grace, is God's well-wisher, and hence it is called, as I also have showed you, his fear. As he also says in the text mentioned above, I will put my fear in their hearts. These words, his and my, they are intimate and familiar expressions, bespeaking not only great favor to man, but a very great trust put in him. As who should say, this fear is my special friend, it will subject and bow the soul. And the several faculties thereof, to my pleasure, it is my great favorite, and subdueth sinners to my pleasure. You shall rarely find faith or repentance or parts to go under such familiar characters as this blessed fear of the Lord does. Of all the counselors and mighties that David had, Hushai only was called the king's friend, 2 Samuel 15.37 and 16.16. So of all the graces of the spirit of this fear of God goes mostly, if not always, by the title of my fear, God's fear, his fear, etc., I told you before, if the king will keep a town, the main fort therein must be sufficiently manned. 
And now I will add that if he have not to govern those men some trusty and special friend, such as Hushai was to David, he may find it lost when it should stand him in greatest stead. If a soul should be possessed with all things possible, yet if this fear of God be wanting, all other things will give place in time of rebellion, and the soul shall be found in and under, and under the conduct of hell, when it should stand up for God and his truth in the world. This fear of God, it is God's special friend, and therefore it is given unto it the chief seat of the heart, the will, that the whole man may now be, and also be kept hereafter, in the subjection and obedience of the gospel. For, number four, this grace of fear is the softest and most tender of God's honor of any other grace. It is that tender, sensible, and trembling grace that keepeth the soul upon its continual watch. To keep a good watch is, you know, a wonderful safety to a place that is in continual danger because of the enemy. Why? This is the grace that setteth the watch, and that keepeth the watchman awake. Song of Solomon 3, verses 7 and 8. A man cannot watch as he should, if he be destitute of fear. Let him be confident, and he sleeps. He unadvisedly lets into the garrison those that should not come there. Israel's fault when they came to Canaan was that they made a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, to wit, the Gibeonites, without asking counsel of God. But would they have done so, thank you, if at the same time the fear of God had had its full play in the soul in the army? No, they at that time forgot to fear. The grace of fear had not at that time its full stroke and sway among them. Number five. This grace of fear is that which, as I may so say, first affects the hearts of saints with judgments, after we have sinned, and so is as a beginning grace to bring again that to rights that by sin is put out of frame. Oh, it is a precious grace of God. I know what I say in this matter, and also where I had been long ago, through the power of my lusts and the wiles of the devil, had it not been for the fear of God. Second. But secondly, Another encouragement for those that are blessed with this blessed grace of fear is this. This fear fails not to do this work for the soul, if there in truth be it never so small in measure. A little of this leaven leaveneth the whole lump. True, a little will not do or help the soul to do those worthy exploits in the heart or life as well as a bigger measure thereof. Nor, indeed, can a little of any grace do that which a bigger measure will. But a little will preserve the soul from final apostasy and deliver it into the arms of the Son of God at the final judgment. Wherefore, when he saith, I will put my fear in their hearts, he says not, I will put so much of it there, such as a quantity or such a degree, but I will put my fear there. I speak not this in the least to tempt the godly man to be content with the least degree of the fear of God in his heart. True, men should be glad that God hath put even the least degree of this grace into their souls, but they should not be content therewith. They should earnestly covet more, pray for more, and use all lawful, 
that is, all the means of God's appointing, that they may give more. There are, as I have said already, several degrees of this grace of fear, and our wisdom is to grow in it, as in all the other places of the Spirit. The reasons why, I have showed you, and also the way to grow therein. But the least measure thereof will do as I said, that is, keep the soul from final apostasy. There are, as I have showed you, those that greatly fear the Lord, that fear exceedingly, and that fear him above many of their brethren. But the small in this grace are saved, as well as those that are great therein. He will bless, or save them that fear him, both small and great. This fear of the Lord is the pulse of the soul, and as some pulses beat stronger, some weaker, so is this grace of fear in the soul. They that beat best are a sign of best life, but they that beat worst show that life is barely present. As long as the pulse beats, we cannot, or we count not that the man is dead, though weak, and this fear, where it is, preserves to everlasting life. Pulses there are also that are intermitting to it, such as have their times for a little, a little time to stop and beat again. True, these are dangerous pulses, but yet too a sign of life. This fear of God also is sometimes like this intermitting pulse. There are times when it forbears to work, and then it works again. David had an intermitting pulse. Peter had an intermitting pulse, all as also many of the other saints of God. I call that an intermittent pulse with reference to the fear we speak of, when there is some obstruction by the workings of corruption in the soul. I say some obstruction from and hindrance of the continual motion of this fear of God. Yet none of these, though they are various, and some of them signs of weakness, are signs of death, but life. I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Question. But you may say, how shall I know that I fear God? Answer. If I should say that desires, true sincere desires to fear him, is fear itself, I should not say amiss, Nehemiah 1 verse 11. For although a desire to be, or do so and so, makes not a man to be in temporal or natural things what he desires to be. For a sick, or poor, or imprisoned man may desire to be well, to be rich, or to be at liberty, and yet be as they are, sick, poor, or in prison. Yet in spirituals, a man's desire to be good, to believe, to love, to hope, and fear God, doth flow from the nature of grace itself. I said before that in temporals, a man could not properly be said to be what he was not. Yet a man, even in naturals or temporals, shows his love to that thing that he desires, whether it be health, riches, or liberty, and in spirituals, desires of, from love to this or that grace of God. Sincere desires of it flow from the root of the grace itself. Thy servants who desire to fear thy name. Nehemiah bore himself before God upon this, that he desired to fear his name. And hence again it is said concerning desires, true desires, the desire of man is his kindness, Proverbs 19, verse 22. For a man shows his heart, 
his love, his affections, and his delights and his desires. And since the grace of the fear of God is a grace so pleasant in the sight of God, and of so sanctifying a nature in the soul where it is, a true sincere desire to be blessed with that grace must needs flow from some being of this grace in the soul already. True desires are lower than higher acts of grace, but God will not overlook desires. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Mark, they desire a country, and they shall have a city. At this low place, to wit, sincere desires... God will meet the soul and will tell him that he hath accepted of his desires, that his desires are his kindness and flow from grace itself. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. Therefore, desires are not rejected of God, but they would, as if they did not flow from a principle of grace already in the soul. Therefore, desires, sincere desires to fear God, flow from grace already in the soul. Therefore, since thou fearest God, and it is evident by thy desires that thou doest so do, thou art happy now in this thy fear, and shalt be happy forever hereafter in the enjoyment that which God in another world hath laid up for them that fear him. Third, another encouragement for those that have this grace of fear is this. This grace can make that man that and many other things, is not capable of serving of God. Serve him better than those that have all without it. Poor Christian man, thou hast scarcely been able to do anything for God all your days, but only to fear the Lord. You are no preacher, and so cannot do him service that way. You are not a rich man, and so cannot do him service with outward substance. You are not a wise man, and so you can't do anything that way. But here is your mercy. You fear God. Though you cannot preach, you can fear God. Though you have no bread to feed your belly, nor fleece to clothe the back of the poor, you can fear God. Oh, how blessed is the man that feareth the Lord! Because this duty of fearing God is an act of the mind, and may be done by the man that is destitute of all things, but that holy and blessed mind. Blessed, therefore, is that man, for God has not laid the comfort of his people in the doing of external duties, nor the salvation of their souls, but in believing, loving, and fearing God. Neither has he laid these things in actions done in their health, nor in the due management of their most excellent parts, but in the receiving of Christ and fear of God. The which, good Christian, thou mayest do, and do acceptably, even though thou shouldest lie bedridden all thy days. Thou mayest also be sick and believe, be sick in love, be sick and fear God, and so be a blessed man. And here the poor Christian hath something to answer them that reproach him for his ignoble pedigree and shortness of the glory of the wisdom of the world. True, may that man say, I was taken out of the dunghill, I was born in a base and low estate, but I fear God. I have no worldly greatness nor excellency of natural parts, but I fear God. When Obadiah met with Elijah, 
He gave him no worldly and fantastical compliment, nor did he glory in his promotion by Ahab the king of Israel, but gravely and after a gracious manner said, I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Also when the mariners inquired of Jonah, saying, What is thine occupation, and where do you come from, and what is your country, and of what people are you? This was the answer he gave them. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Jonah 1, verses 8 and 9. Indeed, this answer is the highest and most noble in the world, nor are there any, save a few, that in truth can thus express themselves. Though other answers, they had enough. Most can say, I have wisdom, or might, or riches, or friends, or health, or the like. These are common, and are greatly boasted in by most. But he is the man that feareth God, and he that can say, when they say to him, What are you? I, your servant, fear the Lord. He is the man of many. He is to be honored of men. Though this, to wit, that he feareth the Lord, is all that he has in the world. He has the thing, the honor, the life, and glory that is lasting. His blessedness will abide when all men's, but his, is buried in the dust, in shame and contempt. A Word to Hypocrites Hypocrites My last word is to you. The hypocrite is one that would appear to be that in men's eyes that is nothing of in God's. Thou hypocrite, that wouldest be esteemed to be one that loves and fears God, but does not. I have this to say to thee. Your condition is damnable, because you are a hypocrite, and seek to deceive both God and man with guises, visards, masks, shows, pretenses, and your formal, carnal, feigned subjection to the outside of statutes, laws, and commandments, but within you are full of rottenness and all excess. Hypocrite, you may by your cunning shifts be veiled and hid from men, but you are naked before the eyes of God, and he knows that his fear is not in your heart. Luke 16, verse 15. Hypocrite, be admonished that there is not obedience accepted of God where the heart is destitute of this grace of fear. Keeping of the commandments is but one part of the duty of man, and Paul did that even while he was a hypocrite, Philemon 3, or Philippians 3. To fear God and to keep his commandments, this is the whole duty of man, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. This, fear of God, the hypocrite, as a hypocrite, cannot do, and therefore as such cannot escape the damnation of hell. Hypocrite. You must fear God first, even before thou dost offer to meddle with the commandments, that is, as to the keeping of them. Indeed, you should read therein, that you may learn to fear the Lord. But yet, fear God goes before the command to keep his commandments. And if you do not fear God first, you transgress instead of keeping of the commandments. Hypocrite. This word, fear God, is that which the hypocrite quite 
quite forgets, although it is that which sanctifies the whole duty of man. For this is that, and nothing without it, that can make a man sincere in his obedience. The hypocrite looks for applause abroad, and forgets that he is condemned at home, and both these he does because he lacks the fear of God. Hypocrite, be admonished that none of the privileges that are spoken of in the former part of the book belong to you, because you are a hypocrite, and if you hope, your hope shall be cut off, and if you lean upon your house, both you and it shall fall into hell fire. Triumph then, your triumph is but for a while. Joy then, but the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. Job 8 verse 13 and 15 and 20 verses 4 through 6. Perhaps you will not let go now what, as a hypocrite, you have got. But what is the hope of the hypocrite when God takes away his soul? Job 27 verse 8. Hypocrite, you should have chosen the fear of God as you have chosen a profession without it. But you have cast off fear because you are a hypocrite. <clears throat> Excuse me. And because you are such, you shall have the same measure that you meet. God will cast you off because you are a hypocrite. God hath prepared a fear for you because you did not choose the fear of God. And that fear shall come upon you like desolation and like an armed man and shall swallow you up, you and all that you are. Proverbs 1 verse 27. Hypocrite, read this text and tremble. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Isaiah 33, verses 13 and 14. Hypocrite, you are not under the fatherly protection of God because you are a hypocrite and lack his fear in your heart. The eyes of the Lord are upon them that fear him to deliver them. But the fearless man, or hypocrite, is left to the snares and wiles of the devil to be caught therein and overcome because he is destitute of the fear of God. Hypocrite, you are like to have no other reward of God for your labor than that which the goats shall have. Hypocrite, the hypocrite, because he is a hypocrite, shall not stand in God's sight. The gain of your religion you spend as you get it. You will not have one farthing over plus at death and judgment. Hypocrite, God has not instructed you with the least dram of his saving grace, nor will he, because you are a hypocrite. And as for what you have, you have stolen it, even every man of you from his neighbor, still pilfering out of their possession, even as Judas did out of the bag. You come like a thief into your profession, and like a thief you shall go out the same. Jesus Christ has not counted you faithful to commit to you any of his jewels to keep, because you do not fear him. He has given his banner to them that fear him, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Psalm 60, verse 4. Hypocrite, you are not true to God, nor man, nor your own soul, because you are a hypocrite. How should the Lord put any trust in you? Why should the saints look for any good from you? Should God give you his word? You will sell it. Should men commit their souls to you? You will destroy them by making merchandise of them for your own hypocritical designs. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com.
It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.